Take your Bible to go to Romans chapter 2. We are continuing in our study in Romans. I want to talk to you about, uh, now everybody in this room, as far as, I'm, as far as I know, is a Gentile, which means you're a non-Jew, you're not a Jew. And the idea that Paul's about to get into uh, in Romans chapter 2 is how can a Jew be righteous without the law? So um, we're going to find out how to be even more righteous than the Jews. So in Romans chapter 2, when you get there, just by way of introduction, uh, we talked about in chapter 1 what Paul talked about. Apostle Paul, as he describes in chapter 1, he describes our nature, what we're like on the inside. And uh, as we go verse by verse, it's not a nice thing. It's like a doctor going over a test, and he says, these are all the problems that we found. And so if we had a spiritual x-ray machine, and could reveal what we're really like on the inside. Not what we look like on the outside, but what we're like on the inside. Romans chapter 1 tells on us, and it describes in pretty strong detail what we are like. And basically, we're lawbreakers. We break um, the law. We break God's laws. Uh, how many of you, I don't have to raise your hand, but think for a second. How many of you have been caught speeding or gotten a speeding ticket? And you're like, rats, I got one uh, years ago. I was going, it was a 50 kilometer an hour speed limit. I was going 59 and they gave me a ticket. I was, it's only six miles an hour over the speed limit. I didn't realize, but I didn't even see the little, I think the disc was three inches wide, you know, that said the speed limit. But the point is, I broke the law and I had to pay. And we all break laws, but we break God's laws. So chapter 1 proves that, and then we come to chapter 2, and right off the bat we learn there's no one that's above the law. And I'll make that a little more clear again in a moment. <clears throat> uh, especially those that see themselves as self-righteous. People who think that they are law keepers, even they are lawbreakers. So we saw that a couple of weeks uh, ago. And uh, the truth is, we are sinners, and that's kind of like a very negative conclusion. What's the point of bringing up so, something so negative? And the point of learning this is that there has to be a way for sinners to become righteous without the law because none of us can keep the law. That's the point. So let's continue our study in Romans as we go to in chapter 2 and pick up in verse 11. We're going verse by verse through it. And Paul says something very important it's a foundational truth and it says this in verse 11 for there is no respect of persons with god that doesn't mean that god doesn't respect us it doesn't show us respect as a matter of fact the fact that you're breathing shows that god does respect you okay but when he says god is no respecter of persons it means that when you say a respecter of person you mean it means that you're treating someone special showing extra respect according to their rank, their status, their beauty, or their importance. Now, most people believe they're respected by God because they are Jews, or because they're Catholics, or because they're Baptists, or Protestants, or Muslims. They think, because of what I am, because of who I am, I must be one of God's favorites. I did go fishing with a pastor friend of mine years ago, and I hate going fishing with pastors. Uh, because over in a corner, you should have heard him praying, Lord, dear Lord, you know I'm your favorite. Therefore, help me catch the most fish today. <laughs> and he did. I hate it. But anyway, <clears throat> uh, but God doesn't show favoritism. 
As a matter of fact, no one impresses God. That's the reality of it. We fall short of God's glory. We're going to learn next week, the beginning, Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and we come short of the glory of God. We all fall short of that measure of perfection. So all your and my abilities, and some of you are very talented. I mean, I, I throw stuff at Christopher, throw stuff at John, I throw stuff, and I say, can you do this? And boy, they just fly with it. You have great talent. But all of our abilities, our wealth, our, our popularity, our goodnesses, righteousness, and good looks mean absolutely nothing to God. And this is very frustrating because what do we spend most of our time? We're trying to accumulate money, trying to make ourselves look good. We're trying to be good. Uh, we're trying to be popular. And then we find out it doesn't really matter. And it doesn't. You, the fact that maybe your boss comes along and gives you a 10,000 euro a year raise next year, you can't go to God and say, God, I'm, I, I certainly must be blessed by, you know, you're, you're, you must really like me and I must be your favorite. Not necessarily. The devil throws money too. So what the point is, the truth is that God doesn't care what's on our outside. What does he care about? Heart. See, what a, what a, a lot of wars are started between races. A lot of battles are, are fought over how somebody lives or how they're different and but God doesn't judge us and, and see us even on the outside at all he looks on the heart let's go and let's make sure we understand that first Samuel we'll come back to Romans first Samuel chapter 16 if you can find in your Old Testament first Samuel chapter 16 and there was a man his name was Saul <clears throat> and he was a king and he was Head and shoulders, it says, above everyone else. He was super good looking. He was tall, dark, and handsome. And everybody wanted him to be king, and so he was king. And he was a nightmare of a king. He was a terrible king. So along comes uh, Samuel, who's a prophet, and God says, I'm going to show you the kind of king that I want to give you. So he has him sit down with a family of eight kids, and all of the young men pass in front of him. And Samuel looks at the oldest, and he's just as stunning as King Saul was. He was brawny. He was a fighter. He was strong. He was, had a deep, strong voice. And Samuel said, surely this is the king. And the Lord said, no. And so the next one comes along. He says, surely this one. The Lord said to Samuel, no. Look at chapter 16 and verse 7. But the Lord said unto Samuel, look not on his countenance. A countenance is his face, his outward looks. Or on the height of his stature. Don't look at that because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth. Now when I look at you, I see people who have glasses, your hair color, your height. I see the way you dress. But the Lord doesn't look on us like people do. For man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh where? On the heart. So God sees our heart clear as day. God is not a respecter of persons. I may see somebody, I mean, if somebody very important came in this door and sat down and we'd all know him and oh, look who's here. We're looking at outward appearance, aren't we? But when somebody like, like that comes in, God's not, oh, no. You know what God sees? The heart. When you and I may see somebody and they're discouraged, they're defeated, they've had a rough week. 
And you and I may go, man, they're really depressed. But in their heart, they're singing and they're praising God through the tears. God sees the heart. You understand what I'm saying? So God is not a respecter of persons. Then Paul comes to verse 13, or 12 to 15. He talks about how the law works. For as many as have sinned, again, Paul says, and he's talking to the Jews. He says, guys, God doesn't see you Jews as so superior to all the rest of the world. Verse 12, for as many as have sinned without law shall also perish without law. Let me ask you a question for a second. If you don't know what the speed limit is, can the guardies still give you a ticket? Unfortunately, yes. I'm proof of that, okay? <laughs> so, as many as have sinned without the law, you say, well, I didn't know it was wrong in the Bible. Just because you're ignorant of what God's laws are does not clear you from being guilty of breaking the laws. Let's keep going. As many as have sinned without the law shall also perish, be judged without law. And as many as have sinned in the law, those were the Jews, they knew the law, shall be judged by the law. Now watch how he explains. And it's called a parenthetical, which means there's an opening bracket, and it ends down at the end of verse 15. And he says, For not the hearers of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law shall be justified. How many of you remember the verse that says in Roman, uh, sorry, in, in um, uh, James chapter 1, it says, Be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. So is it possible, ladies and gentlemen, to come to church and just hear the Bible and it doesn't do nothing for you? Yes, it is. Does the fact that you came to church, does that actually, coming, sitting in a chair, even enduring my preaching, does that do anything for you? No. What changes a person? I'm going to give you the clue as to why marriages still fall apart why people still end up in such dark sin why people fall into such sin even though they claim to be christians because when they come and they sit in church and they hear but they don't do what the bible says their heart never changes you'll never change until you start doing things god's way that's the reality so he goes on Verse 13, let's read it again. For not the hearers of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law shall be justified. For when? The Gentiles. <gasps> Here are these people that they're pagan, they're heathen, they're, they don't know God. When the Gentiles, which have not the law, they didn't have a Bible, only the Jews did. When they do by nature the things contained in the law, these Gentiles, having not the law, are a law unto themselves. You know what I found out? People who may be the most atheistic, the most anti-God, the most anti-religious, they still live by rules, don't they? They still have laws that they live by. They call themselves moral, I understand. But it says they, they have a law that's for themselves, that works for them, verse 15, which show the work of the law written where? So somehow, even though somebody may have never read the Bible, when they know it's wrong to have another man's wife, and they make a law against adultery, or they make a law against polygamy, or maybe they make a law against murder, or they make a law against stealing, even though they never had the Bible, what are they proving? That the law is good. And that they have a law in their heart, even though they never picked up a Bible and read it. Let's keep going which show the work of the law written in their hearts, verse 15, their conscience also bearing witness, making a statement, 
and their thoughts, the mean. Now, mean is an, it's a mathematical word. It means the bottom, means the basic. The mean, while accusing or else excusing one another. Now, the truth is this, sin is sin, whether you know it or not. When someone has a written copy of God's law or not, it doesn't determine if they sin. Sin is breaking of laws, whether they're written or whether they're understood in our heart. They're natural laws. Um, People who do have God's law, when they sin, they have clear understanding of what they did wrong and they will still be punished for that sin. And people who don't have the, the Bible and don't know what's right or wrong, Old Testament or New Testament, they still break God's laws and they still will face judgment. The fact is, all sinners perish and they will face the judgment of God, judged by the law, either written in the Bible or in their conscience. Somebody says, what about so-and-so way off, deep as dark as jungle, some island they've never heard? Well, they still have a conscience. They still have a sense, we call it a moral compass, They still have a sense that there's a God. No wonder they all worship totem poles or statues. They still know things from their conscience, even though they've never read a Bible. They still have laws and rules, no matter where you go. Um, I'll make a statement here. Rocks don't have morals, do they? Do bears have morals? Huh? No, bears don't care who they eat. (laughs) Okay. Does water worry about drowning someone? No. So that material aspect of the world doesn't have morals. We do. Doesn't matter who you are, we hesitate to do something. We have a. Now, the older you get, the more you're able to burn it out and not listen to your conscience. But we have a conscience. Now, the truth is, you're not okay with the law. Look at verse 13 again. For not the hearers of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law shall be justified. What is he saying? Uh, Just hearing and knowing the Bible doesn't help you. Can you imagine a guarda? Here comes a guardee, and he knows all the laws. He believes in the laws, and yet he doesn't live by them, and instead he's dealing with drugs on the side. He robs petrol stations at night. Hmm. What about a politician? Can you imagine a politician actually knowing what is right? That would be a miracle. And yet amazingly not submitting themselves to the very laws they enact? Now, wouldn't that be fun if a a politician actually abided by their own laws? But But you understand when somebody knows the law and they reject it, I mean, how much worse that is. Um... The world promotes a thousand different lifestyles. You know, I'm going to make it easy for you. Somebody says, there's this new lifestyle. There's this new way of living, new way of thinking, all this stuff. You know what I want? The Bible says there's only one lifestyle I want to have, and that's the life of Jesus Christ. I want to be like him. I want his lifestyle, okay? So if you want to understand, somebody says, well, this is my lifestyle. I, uh, fine, I understand what you're trying to say. I don't understand what you're trying to do. But let me tell you real clearly, it will do you no good when you stand before God. The one life that matters is the life of Christ. And anybody who ever gets born again wants to be like him. That's the lifestyle. So the law shows us where we're not being like him. Now, let's keep going because there are two kinds of laws described here, and I think you're picking them up hopefully by now. The Gentiles have a law and the Jews have a law. 
and it was it was the the first was God giving to the Jews perfect laws, and they are perfect. As a matter of fact, these are the laws upon which our government, Irish government, and most Western governments are built upon. If you want to know what made the Irish Constitution so long standing, why it's not now they've been trying to change it every year or so in the last recent decade or so, but that, that testifies to a mentality problem. <clears throat> but the Irish Constitution is so stable because the points that it it says or right or wrong came from the Bible. Came from both the Old Testament and the New Testament. And that's why people want to change it. They hate it. But this is what makes a nation stable. So the Mosaic laws, not just the Ten Commandments, but 613 very precise laws, they go much further than your and my conscience. They're perfect laws. They, they show us how to worship. They show governments how to operate, how judges should make decisions. But there's another law, and that's conscience. The Gentiles do the very things that are contained in this book, even though they never read it. Uh, every nation, every tribe, every person on this planet lives by rules. It's called our conscience. From the beginning of time, mankind has had a moral awareness engraved in their hearts. And listen, we all know it's wrong to steal. I've used the example. We've got some kids back in the crash. Here's, here's you know, a little Sean, and he's playing with a little you know, truck, a little dump truck, and he's playing on there, and Sally comes along and grabs it and wants to play with it. What does Sean do? He screams and he grabs it back. What is he expressing? That's wrong to steal. <laughs> it's written in our hearts. We know what's right or wrong, the basic. And, and when we, what do we do with our own rules? Well, we accuse one another. Oh, they broke the rule. Or we excuse ourselves saying, well, I didn't really understand. That proves that we have laws, even though we may not be going by God's laws. Now, here's the truth. What's amazing is these two laws, my conscience, even though I've never read the Bible, and the Bible overlap in a huge way. So God's laws in the Bible, uh, sorry, forget, God's laws are written already in every heart. We call it our conscience, our moral awareness. Now, they're imperfect. You're not, you're not going to know what is totally right or wrong. You're going to know the, basically what's right or wrong. But then there's another set of laws which are also God's laws. God put them in our heart. And then he also put them in a book. They're the written laws. They're perfect, and they're a perfect revelation of what is right or wrong. You ever wonder how a bird, I think it's fascinating. We were listening to some birds singing uh, when we were away in the morning, and I love the dawn chorus. And listening to them as, as they're flying around and they're building nests. And how does a bird know to build this circular nest out of sticks and, and uh, uh, cotton and cloth and rubbish and stuff and build this perfect little nest? How does, a, how does a bird know how to do that? We call it instinct, but it's design. It is fantastic. How, did the, how, did, how is this world operating like that? There's so many things that, quote, go by instinct. But that's design. Well, our awareness of what is right or wrong was also designed in us. And when you have God's laws, the Bible, and you lay it alongside our conscience, there's an overlap. There are a lot of things. When you read the Bible and you see God's law says, 
Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not commit adultery. We all agree with it because it's already in our heart, isn't it? Now, there's some things extra in the Bible. You say, well, I didn't know that. Oh, I don't know if I understand that. But that's perfect revelation. And there are some things that we make rules about that are just plain stupid. But across there, there is a common set of things that we all that's why when you read the bible you may think you're disagreeing with it but if you actually take time you go yeah i agree with most of it because it agrees with my heart it agrees that i it, it i agree that i'm a sinner and i break laws i break rules i'm not perfect i'm not even nearly perfect but they're the universal laws that everyone whether you are never ever read a bible you're still going to stand before God and God will judge you by what you know. Even though you've never read, you must be born again. And the Jew who knows the Bible, remember Jesus speaking to Nicodemus. Nicodemus is standing there or sitting there with Jesus and Jesus tells him about being born again. And what does Nicodemus say? How can these things be so? And Jesus says to him, art thou a teacher in Israel and you do, don't, do not know these things? They're all in the Bible. So he was held to a higher standard because he should have known how much of a sinner he was. So <clears throat> the purpose of the law shows us that we fall short. It exposes our sin and proves that we're a sinner. Now we know why we don't like the Bible. Now we know why when we, when we come to church and we hear somebody preach from the Bible, we go, hmm, ooh, hmm, that's uncomfortable because it's exposing us. It's telling us where we fail. And if you go to a church where they only make you feel good, you're not going to church. You're going to an entertainment society. You're going to a spa. <laughs> if you want to come to a real Bible even church, let somebody open the Bible and just go through it line by line and let it hit you where it hits. And let it also heal you where it heals. So we come to verse 16 now. And he goes on, in the day. Now remember, verse 12 it, it ends in a semicolon, and then there's a parenthesis. Let me go back to verse 12, and let me, then we'll jump down to verse 16. I'll show you where we're going. For as many as have sinned without the law shall also perish without law. And as many as have sinned in the law shall be judged by the law. You're both in trouble with God. Verse 16, in the day, uh-oh, when God, notice, jump down to verse 16, shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. What do we call Jesus? Savior of the world, don't we? But if you don't let him save you, guess what he is? The judge of the world. And God won't judge the visible. He won't see what you've accomplished, where you've lived, what you've done, what your abilities are, how good you look. He knows the secrets of men. He knows your heart. Read verse 16 again. In the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. All people will be judged by Jesus Christ. All the secrets of every man and woman ever born will be judged, not by Moses, but by Jesus. Not by Muhammad, but by Jesus. Not by the high court either, but by Jesus Christ who knows your heart. Think about it. That meek and lowly Savior who came to this world to let people beat him, let them mock him, rip his beard off of him, rip his flesh off of him, threw him on a cross and left him to die, that Jesus who allowed such abuse and such mockery and, and murder didn't die and stay dead, did he? 
three days later, got up again. And he says, now you better worry because I know you. And you'll stand before me one day. And you better be on the side that says I need you as savior or else you will be on the other side, which is I'll have you as judge. It ought to terrify everyone. People say, well, I'll go to my church. I'll do my religion. You do whatever you want, but you must face Jesus Christ one day. Well, I don't believe in Jesus Christ. I don't care whether you do or not. You know that you know that there is something coming ahead of you after death, and you're not ready for it. And only Jesus Christ came back. I love how I'll be at a door, and I'll knock, and I'll talk to somebody, and I'll tell them, you're ready to die. And they go, oh, it doesn't matter to me. We don't know what's after death. I said, oh, I know. There's eternity. And you're either going to heaven or hell. And they'll always say, nobody's ever come back. Is that true? Yes. Jesus did. Jesus came back. And they go, oh, but beside him. <laughs> I'd say, no, no, he's the standard. That's why everyone in this room and everybody in this world needs to get right with God. Because if you meet him without being born again, you will perish. And you will perish forever. There's no end. Now, Paul goes on and he deals with another thing here, verse 17. He's called the false superiority of the Jews. Behold, now Paul's writing and he actually names the people that he's talking to and he says, thou art called a Jew. Think of this guy. He's just so proud of himself. Thou art called a Jew and resteth in the law and makes thy boast of God and knows his will and approveth the things that are more excellent, being instructed out of the law and art confident that thou thyself art a guide of the blind, a light of them which are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babes, which has the form of knowledge and of the truth of the law. Now, Paul is now going right at the Jew and their arrogance. And he says, guys, you're trusting in your genetics. You trust in your race. You call yourself a Jew? Mm -hmm. that's, that's the race of Jews. A descendant of Abraham, you think that's really a big deal with God? He lists on, he says, oh, you guys have the law of God. You, you think because you have the law that you're superior to those who don't have the law. Really? You believe you're so close to God. He actually says that there, uh, um, verse 17, Behold, thou art called a Jew, restest in the law, and makest thy boast of God, and knowest his will, approvest all things. He says, you... you you think that you're so close to God and the rest of the world is so far away, you know God's will. And it's true. The more you learn the Bible, the more you learn God's will for your life. <laughs> you get married, guess what God's will is? Stay married. <laughs> Bible, the Bible's pretty clear on the will of God, all right? And knowing the law, knowing the Bible, you know God's will, Jews. You approve and enjoy so many things. You know what, if you go, even if you did, go by all the laws of, of hygiene and, and health in the Old Testament, guess what you do? You live longer. You actually do. The Jews, when the plague was, was the Black Plague was going through Europe, and millions of Spanish, English, French were dying because of the Black Plague and cholera and stuff like this, the Jews didn't die. They didn't get sick because they wouldn't touch dead things. They didn't eat things that they didn't know how it died. They washed their hands constantly. And when they went by the laws of diet and on hygiene, they actually lived longer than the rest of Europe. And they enjoy things, more things. A lot of people, you know, I see 
good night. We were watching this morning. We were up at, at, at 5 a.m. our time, 6 a.m. there, and the people buying the, uh, the beers it, just at 6 a.m. in the morning at the airport. And that's their business, whatever they want to do. But I'll say this, they're not going to live very long. You want to approve, you want to enjoy life? Don't turn to that stuff for your life. I found something much better than alcohol. Be not drunk with wine when it is excess, but be what? Filled with the Spirit. So these Jews had a lot going for them. They enjoyed and they, they were able to say, this is right, this is good. Uh, they are students of God's laws. Man, you ought to read Psalm 119 again. I mean, just the joy of knowing what is right and absolutely right. And it's not just do's and don'ts. They're principles of how to live. They are a guide. Whether you like it or not, they, they, listen, I've seen some Jews who get saved. When they explain some of the stuff in the Bible, it's like head and shoulder. It's just whew, fantastic. They understand stuff I'll never understand. They're a guide. They understand their whole, that's their culture. They're an instructor, a teacher of us ignorant Gentiles, and they possess a form of knowledge and truth. Now, if you had all that going for you, wouldn't you think you were better than everyone else? Jews did. Uh, you know, you and I are a little, we're, we're not so much different. Some of us, uh, our race and our nationality, we think is better than others. We do. We think because we're so well-educated, we're better than others. People actually think they're closer to God. I know some people, uh, when I was in Mexico, the Mexicans uh, said, oh, we're closer to God. Because when we go to the, go to the cathedral, we go on our knees. <laughs> and they do. They'd, they'd, they'd crawl on their knees a quarter mile. Once they got into the gate of the huge cathedrals in Mexico City, they would, on their knees, they would crawl to go into that cathedral there. I haven't seen an Irish Catholic do that yet. But I've met a lot of Irish Catholics who say, oh, we're Irish, we're Catholic, we're, we're closer to God. That's the attitude. We're not different than the Jews. We have our own arrogance. Yet I want you to show you what Paul says in chapter 2, verse 21 now. He goes on and he says, Thou therefore which teaches another, you Jews that are able to teach the whole world, teachest thou not thyself? What a good question. Thou that preaches a man should not steal, dost thou steal? Hmm. Thou that sayest a man should not commit adultery, uh, dost thou commit adultery? Thou that abhorrest idols, dost thou commit sacrilege? Thou that makest thy boast of the law, through breaking the law, dishonorest thou God? For the name of God is blasphemed. It is mocked among the Gentiles through you Jews as it is written. Paul goes, man, he, it's, it's a one-two punch. He says, as a teacher, have you learned anything? Do you Jews break any of God's laws? And Paul's basically saying, I know you have. You ever stole anything? I'll ask you this. Have you ever stolen? I bet you have. We steal time. We steal money. Uh, a lot of people steal virginity. They steal innocence. I read about it in the newspaper almost every day. Somebody messing with somebody else, stealing their innocence. A little nine-year-old kid, six-year-old kid, learning about stuff that doesn't need to be learned about until you're 26. There's, there's stealing going on. Adultery. 
you can have three kinds of adultery. You've got physical adultery everybody worries about. There's also emotional adultery. Men who've never uh, been physical with another woman sure has showed a lot of attention to other women. That's called emotional adultery. Let your wife watch you while you do that. How about spiritual adultery? When you put something more important than God, you're saying to God, I love this more. That's like somebody saying, I love this woman more than I love you, honey. That's spirit. That's, we, we don't think about these things. And the Jews thought, well, because I don't physically do something, therefore I'm okay. How about idolatry? The one thing you would never see a Jew doing is bowing down to an idol, but they'll bow down to the money. And you will too. Somebody said, you do this and you'll get a million euros. You'd say, when do I sign up? <laughs> Did you ever dishonor God? You know, our hypocrisy causes other people to blaspheme God. If you're married and your children or somebody else is watching you and your marriage and you just, there's no love, there's no closeness, there's just bitter arguing, there's just nothing there. You know what you're doing? You're showing the next generation marriage isn't worth it, amen? It's mocking marriage when we don't make it work. And when we don't make our Christianity real and when the Jews didn't make the relationship with God real, it makes Gentiles, it makes the unsaved look at them and go, why would I want to be a Christian? And I wonder, does anybody ever think that Christianity is any good when they look at our lives? When they see us complaining and arguing, trying to get out of the house in time for church, and we go, and your kids are going, why do we go? Mom and dad are going to kill each other. <laughs> do you break God's laws? Our hypocrisy actually causes, and I'm saying, apply to us, but it was to the Jews. They actually caused Gentiles to blaspheme God. David sinned with Bathsheba. I mean, this is this is the psalmist. He wrote many of the psalms in the middle of your Bible. He was loved by God. He had a heart after God. And then one wrong choice. He, he wanted to be with another man's wife, Bathsheba. And so he got Bathsheba. And at one night, she got pregnant. And he covered it up by, you know, uh, trying to get her husband to go and spend time with her and try to make things so nobody else would find out that, he, that David was the dad and not, the, not Uriah the Hittite. And he ultimately has Uriah murdered. So for the next nine months, David takes her and marries her. This is David in your Bible. You ever wonder why the Bible is the best book on the planet? Because it tells us we really are. People are wicked. So here's David, and Nathan confronts him and tells him a little story about the little lamb. Remember that? And David's furious at somebody taking a little lamb from a poor man and eating it and enjoying it as dinner for a friend when he was very rich. And Nathan says to him, thou art the man. You're the one who stole another man's lamb. You took another man's wife. And David knew he was found out. Listen to the words in 2 Samuel. David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Amen. You better start there. You better humble yourself and agree, yes, I have done wrong. And Nathan says back to David, and says, The Lord hath also put away thy sin. The Lord has forgiven you. Thou, hast, thou shalt not die like you should. Howbeit, because by this deed thou hast given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. You see, David, the whole world's going to know about your sin, and they're all going to say, So that's what Christianity does for you? That's what the Bible does? It'll make you 
cover up your sin. It'll make you so that you can commit adultery. And David was humbled and humiliated and to think, I have given reason for ungodly people to turn their back on God and not need God. The way we live affects the people around us. Be careful how you talk. Be careful how you're so free to feel comfortable sinning. I kind of wonder how many people have walked away from God simply because I've been a hypocrite. People who watch me and know me best look at me and go, yeah, he's a hypocrite. I bet you a lot of people walked away and said, I don't need God because if that's an example of Christianity, that stinks. That ought to terrify us. And Paul comes up and brings up a neat thought, verse 25, for circumcision. Now he's talking about, he just finished talking to the Jews, and he says, let me tell you about the Gentiles who are uncircumcised. He says, for circumcision verily profiteth, it benefits, if thou keep the law. But if, he, if thou be a breaker of the law, and thy circumcision is made uncircumcision, as if you'd never been circumcised. Therefore, if the uncircumcision... Those are people who are uncircumcised. Those are the Gentiles. Those are the people that don't have God's law. If the uncircumcision keep the righteousness of the law, shall not his uncircumcision be counted for circumcision? Won't he be equal to you? Verse 27, and shall not uncircumcision, which is by nature, if it fulfill the law, won't they judge you Jews who by the letter and circumcision does transgress the law? Now this is terrifying. But we're just going to touch on this for a second. First of all, the Jews had something called physical circumcision. It's uh, an operation of the flesh. It set them apart. It made them different than the world. Uh, it's something done by your parents, and it doesn't do anything to you, okay? Or it doesn't do anything in you. It was a sign, a token, a symbol of their separation from the world, and it showed that they belonged to somebody else, belonged to God. Uh, it's like a badge of honor. Okay, some people wear tattoos and all this stuff. Says, this is my mother's name, you know, Bertha. I don't know, whatever. But it was this circumcision was their badge of honor, something that they they boasted in. And the Jews, everywhere they went, they boasted in the fact they were circumcised. But Paul reminded them that their circumcision meant nothing if they were breaking God's laws. Be like the mayor of Cork caught speeding. I'm sorry, the son of the mayor of Cork. I'm sure the mayor does speed, but we'll talk about his son for a minute. The, the son of the mayor of Cork is caught speeding, and the son says to the guardie, do you know who I am? And the guardie responds, I couldn't care less. You were speeding. Your relationship with the mayor means nothing when you break the law, does it? At least it shouldn't. Unfortunately, it does. <laughs> so the point is, circumcision is good, Circumcision barely profits. There are health benefits for it. But it's only good if you're keeping all of God's laws. But if you're not obeying them or if you're failing, it does nothing for you that makes you better than anyone else. Same thing with the wedding ring. Ladies and gentlemen, I hope if you're married, I hope you're wearing a wedding ring. It's a good, it's a good testimony. I'm owned. Amen? But if you have a wedding ring, hmm, that wedding ring does nothing for the relationship when your heart is on something or someone else. Amen? My wedding ring, if I'm flirting with another girl, my wedding ring is of no value, is it? Amen? And this was very offensive to the Jews because they thought that the circumcision was what was important. And it's not the circumcision of the flesh that's important. He brings up 
that Gentiles, if I bring it up here, Gentiles are, who are naturally uncircumcised are able to become righteous with God without being circumcised. And they are even superior to the Jews. They're even able to judge Jews who have the law and they have circumcision, but they're not living it. They're not obeying it. <laughs> the, the uncircumcision of a Gentile means nothing if they have a better righteousness than the law-breaking Jews. There is a righteousness that exceeds the outward symbols and ceremonies that the Jews were all caught up in. And it's true. Aren't most religions filled with traditions and ceremonies? All you got to do is just come to church and just go through the routine and then go home the same as you came. That's the same system that has cursed this world from the beginning of time. And the question is, how can anyone, I'll go back there, how can anyone get a better righteousness than the Jews? Go to Matthew 5. Hold your place here in Romans. Go to Matthew chapter 5. In verse 20, Matthew 5, 20. Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees who were so particular about everything they were doing and how they dressed and whether they were circumcised and whether they were uh, honoring every holy day and everything. Verse 20, for I say unto you, very devout Jews, that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, ye shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. He says, if you ever want to get in, you're going to have to be better than them, which was a shocker because how can you be better than them? And that's where we get to our point. There is a better circumcision. And Paul, I'm not making this up. This is Paul's description. These are Paul's words, and they have such rich meaning. Let me explain here. Verse 28. For he is not a Jew, not a proper Jew, which is one outwardly, neither is that circumcision which is outward in the flesh. That's not what God wanted, an outward cutting of the flesh. Verse 29, but he is a Jew, a proper Jew, which is one where? Circle that word inwardly. And it is proper circumcision is that of the heart. What do we say? Valentine's or birthdays. I love you with all my wallet, right? That's what gentlemen say. But what do we say? I love you with all my heart. Okay, watch it. He is a Jew, verse 29 again, which is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit and not in the letter, not in the do, 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 whose praise is not of men but of God. Quickly. We'll leave this. Go to Deuteronomy. You can go back to the left. Find Deuteronomy chapter 10. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. The fifth book in the Old Testament. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 12. Deuteronomy chapter 10 and verse 12. We're going to read verse 12 and 13 and then jump down to 16 and see, it summer, see the summary. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 12. And now, Israel, what doth the Lord thy God require of thee? What is God looking for? But to fear the Lord thy God, to walk in all his ways, and to love him with all thy heart, with all thy soul, to keep the commandments of the Lord, 
and his statutes which I command thee this day for thy good. It's for our benefit. Down to verse 16. Circumcise therefore the foreskin of your and be no more stiff-necked. We'd say the word rebellious, hard-hearted, bitter, frustrated. Don't be that way anymore. Take it to another one. Go to Acts chapter 7. Acts. Acts chapter 7, right after Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, comes the book of Acts chapter 7. Stephen is preaching. He's about to be stoned. Not on drugs. Acts chapter 7, verse 51. Listen to him confront those superior Jews. Ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in what? All right, so what do you know about those Jews? Were they circumcised in the flesh, yes or no? Yes, but they were not circumcised in the heart. Ye, and uncircumcised in the heart, and ears. Ye do always resist the Holy Ghost as your fathers did, so do ye. This circumcision, uh, physical circumcision was done by, the pre, by a priest on the eighth day, and it was arranged by your parents. Guess who chooses to circumcise your heart? You do. Go to Colossians now. Go to the right. After Acts, Colossians, chapter 2. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, chapter 2, verse 10. Just a couple more scriptures and we're done. Colossians 2 and verse 10 and verse 11, it says this. Ladies and gentlemen, you ought to circle this verse. Verse 10 is so encouraging. If you ever get discouraged about your spirituality, about your maturity, about your failures, if you get concerned where you're saying, I'm just a series of failures, don't worry. Look at verse 10. Ye are, what's the word? You're complete. You you have everything you need to succeed and have victory in Jesus. Ye are complete in him. Some people say, well, I'm in my church or I'm in this sports program. Do whatever you want, but if you want to be complete, get into Christ. You're complete in him which is ahead of all principalities and power. Verse 11, in whom also ye are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, in putting off of the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Ha! So when I got born again, I got circumcised on the inside. My heart was changed on the inside. And I became a proper Jew. Ha, ha, ha. Go to Galatians chapter 6. You're in Colossians. Go back to the left. Find Galatians chapter 6. In verse 15. Galatians 6. Again, the book of Galatians is written to Jewish believers who thought that all these people who were getting saved who were Texans and Irish and Germans and French, all of them who were getting saved, they needed to be circumcised. And look at what Paul concludes, verse, six, verse 15. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision availeth anything, doesn't, doesn't produce anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creature does. If any man be in Christ, what is he? He's a new creature being born again whether you're in prison in a hospital bed or at the head of a company 
that, when you got born again, that accessed the throne of heaven, that made you a child of God, that is where it counts, not your outward show. So let's finish this up. What is a proper Jew? It's someone who's a Jew on the inside. You know, God's goal for all mankind is to be like the Jews were designed to be. That's why three quarters of your Bible is Jewish. Not that we keep all of the law, but this is, this is God's people, and God invites me to be just like that, to be a real Jew. Guess who's the perfect Jew in the Bible? It wasn't Moses. It was Jesus. The most perfect Jew who ever lived was Jesus. You know what he asked you to be like? A proper Jew like Jesus. Matthew 3, 9, uh, the, uh, the Jews were standing out there, the Pharisees standing out there mocking John as he's calling for people to repent. And the Pharisees were standing there going, we're not, we're not going to be baptized. We're not going to repent. I mean, we're, we're not going to humble ourselves. And listen to what John said. He said, um, think not to say within yourselves, we have Abraham to our father. And John says this, for I say unto you that God is able of these rocks, of these stones to raise up children of Abraham. Your, your genetics doesn't make you closer to God any more than being a rock does. So someone who is a Jew on the inside is a proper Jew. Someone who ignores all the outward shows. You know, when you come in that door, the last thing on your mind ought to be what you're wearing, and what's on your head, and whether you got the proper hat. I mean, there are churches up north where you have to have a hat. I mean, it's got to be fancy, and everybody's worried about what they're wearing. The last thing you ought to be worrying about is what other people are wearing, uh, uh, what they what they look like, where they where they come from. Let me tell you, what God looks at is the heart. You better make sure you come to get your heart right. This is a hospital, isn't it? It's a place where broken people come, and they let this book show them where they're wrong and how to get right. Uh, someone. Um, what is a proper Jew? It's someone who allows God to circumcise their heart by repentance. You know what repentance is? That's me finally having enough of this world and saying, I don't want any more. And I turn to Jesus Christ and I say, I want to be like you. And whatever you ask me to do, I'll do it. And that change in your life, and sometimes you have to do it, not to be saved, but sometimes you have to do it a lot where the world is calling and you says, no, I turn away and I'm going to follow Jesus. Because I want to be real. I want to be true to what called me to do. And I, we're not going to read it over there, but the last point, he said there, whose praise is not of men but of God, seeks only God's approval and not man's. You know, um, what's the point? What's the point of all this? God's laws expose the sins of our hearts. That's why, that's why you're supposed to read the Bible. You're not supposed to only read the good bits. You're supposed to read the Bible start to finish. You say, I'm reading in Leviticus and it's really rough. Yeah, read on. Just keep reading it. You know, if you, if you are saved, you know what's going to happen when you get to heaven? God's going to ask you, did you read my book? He did write it to be read, amen? So you learn about yourself through the pages of this Bible. And as you do, you're going to see, I'm a mess. I, I can't live it, just like Weston's testimony last week. I can't live it like these Christians, not knowing that we couldn't either. What's the point? No one is better or more superior than anybody else. Every one of us are on a sinking boat. Every one of us, there's not one of us that is 
a little bit up higher and we're a little bit more safe and and everybody needs to be born again we're all lost we're all sinners before god and the truth is we're going to all stand before jesus christ now buddha says they're hoping to die one day and never never come back hindu says they're going to stand before their gods i don't know who you're looking to you're gonna you're gonna stand before the jesus christ that you think you know and you ought to be afraid of because he has not been your savior yet you may go to church you may say lord save us 57 times in a in a prayer but until you actually want it and you actually trust him as savior he's still going to be your judge all of us are lawbreakers and we need a better righteousness than the jews had a better way to be righteous with god than just traditions if i came up and i said okay these people who stand on their head for 10 minutes they're holier than you you'd laugh and yet if you come up and you put on a robe and you learn a new language and you can, can genuflect to all this stuff, we think they're more holy. That doesn't make you more holy. God doesn't care what's on our outside or on our service. As a matter of fact, it's a whole lot easier for people to change their looks, amen? I mean, you can get a haircut. Get two. Right. You can, you can change how you look. You can get tanned, you know, you can, all those things on the outside, it's a whole lot easier to change things on the outside. It's impossible to change the heart, isn't it? That's why you must be born again and let God change it. But it's your choice. Only God can change the heart. Only God can. Only he can separate you from that sin that does so easily beset you, that keeps defeating you, keeps conquering you. And it all happens when we admit our nature. So you can't argue with God. God knows you, and he wants you to know you. He wants you to go, I know what I'm like now. I know I'm wrong, and I reject it. That's repentance. I reject it. I don't, I don't want to stay me, because if I stay me, I'm going to end up in a hell. I'm going to lake up, end up in a lake of fire. So turn to faith in Jesus Christ. Just believe him. You don't have to believe me. You're reading the Bible. It's by, we read it, the just shall live by faith, not by your good works. And that's when a pagan, heathen, ignorant, dumb, Gentile Texan can get born again and live forever. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Not through your church, not through this church, but through Jesus Christ. Let's stand, let's bow in prayer. Every head bowed. Every eye closed. <clears throat> We talked about a lot of stuff. But the main thing I want you to understand is even if you don't know any of the Bible, if you've just gone to church or you've never even gone to church ever at all, you don't like church, you do have a law in your own heart that does convince you you're wrong. And there's more than what you know. And that, that list of laws goes on and on. And when you find out how many laws you've broken that you knew you did, and you stand before God, you're not going to be able to say, oh, but that's not fair. No, God will say it's very fair. You knew it. And yet you still ignored the opportunity to be forgiven. Isn't that awesome? What's the church all about? It's not about all the big deals of fancy worship. You know, it's about getting people right with God. Getting people to humble themselves and finally say, God, you win. You want me to look to Jesus Christ? I look to Jesus and I'll follow him. You gave me your son to die in my place. I accept him now. 
Father, I prayed that prayer, very similar one there, 42 years ago, and it worked. It worked because it, it, I was at the bottom. I never realized just how much trouble I was in. And I need to be reminded over and over again that there was only one way out, and that was through your son, who came into this world, it was God in the flesh, who came and then took my punishment that I deserved. And he was beaten and mocked by the religious because he didn't, he didn't do things their way. He was just doing things yours way. And when he died on that cross, he said, it is finished. And he cried out, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do, even in their ignorance. And three days later, the Lord Jesus Christ rose from that grave and he says, now follow me all the way home to heaven. Maybe there's somebody in this room who's struggled with their religion, struggled with being religious, struggled with morality. The truth be known, their heart aches because they know they break God's laws and they're in trouble and they'd like to be forgiven. I pray they cry out to you right now and ask for the gift of forgiveness, the, the, the saving forgiveness of Jesus Christ. It's a whole new life. It is the Christian life. And it gets started where, where there's just a repentant, broken heart and a faith in the Lord Jesus Christ to save them. And if there's Christians in this room, probably, sometimes we do get a little arrogant. And I'm afraid we are hypocrites. May we never ever think that we're better. May we think it's only by the grace of God that you've loved us and you wanted us. All I want to do now is tell other people about how to get saved and how to follow Jesus as well. Burden our hearts, Lord, with this message, Lord. There are people who are all confused. And there's just a simple truth, follow Jesus. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.